get back into the dialogue. <clears throat> well, guys, welcome to the Sunday um, services in the sanctuary of paradise here. And um, may you see wherever you are also as paradise. Otherwise, it's a paradox. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you were having a question about right effort. Exactly, yes. Uh-huh. And the goal-orientedness that prevents us from having right effort. Exactly. Now, not, now not all goal-oriented is uh, problematic that in fact our society greatly promotes goal-oriented, right? except that they take the long range. Then why do you have to play, why do you have to um, re read the ABCs and the one, two, threes? Oh, so you can learn to read. Why should I learn to read? Oh, so you can get into the second grade. Why should I get into second grade? Oh, so you can get into primary school. Well, why should I go to primary school? So you can go to middle school. Well, why middle school? So you can go to high school. Well, why high school? So you can go to college. Well, why college? So I can get a job and it just goes on and on and on and on and on in the sense of one big goal after another that <clears throat> is really the big problem in life is in the moment, those big goals we haven't already met. They're big goals because they're way off into the future. In fact, they may not, as you saw my little diatribe about school, those may not be big goals at all. I yeah. mean, what's the point of getting out of middle school so you can go to high school, especially when puberty is hitting you hard? So, um, the whole idea of the teaching of the Buddha is to come into the present moment, and we can do that with everything, including our goals. Mm -hmm. that, that one of the classic definitions of dukkha is not getting what we want. Well, there's the goals for you. So, in fact, you can say, well, then someday in the future, someday my prince will come. Then I will get what I want and then I will be happy. Then I will feel good. Someday my jhana will come. Someday my meditation will pay fruit. And this is very much part of our uh, Western society. Um, rather than recognizing that what the Buddha is teaching is, is that number one, let's be in the present moment, especially for the goals, and then we can set our goals to something that we can have, and then we can feel satisfied right then and there. And if we keep practicing that, it becomes a habit of being satisfied, so that when these long-term goal uh, mental thoughts come by, we can do several things. One, we can say, oh, well, I'm feeling satisfied even if I don't get what I want. Or I can say, 
oh, well, I don't even have to think about that because it'll be dissatisfying when I come. Why don't I come back and just be in the present moment and let that go be? And then somebody will say, well, I have to do this, that, and the other thing in order to eventually meet that goal. And the answer to that is, can you do this right here, right now, in the present moment, joyfully, without mm -hmm. and just forget about the long-term results of what you're doing? Mm -hmm. But in fact, there's an issue called the butterfly effect. Have you ever heard of the butterfly effect? Yeah, yeah. If you change a small thing right now, the future will kind of be completely different. Like because is it this effect? All like right. the wing of a butterfly causes some wind, which uh, <laughs> makes something fall over, which hurts a person, okay. and then this person does something consequential, and so on. This this effect, right? All right. Well, in that regard, we can say then several things. One, we can also say the butterfly effect is actually that we really don't know what causes what, because so many causes and so many effects are happening so quickly, uh, uh, every microsecond by microsecond, that in yeah. fact, the only thing that can put that butterfly wing into the hurricane is mentality humans only we humans would put that connection the butterfly doesn't say wow watch my wings create a hurricane right <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. exactly so um <clears throat> there's there's the next point to it and that is is that because we don't know what the future is going to bring, that rocks our goals anyway. That many times you'll get what you want and you don't ever have to do anything to get it. It just kind of falls in your lap. We call that a windfall sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that something really good happens and we caused it, but we didn't make that connection. Mm -hmm. Okay. For instance, banks get windfalls on a regular basis because people lose money. Well, if your money's in the bank when you lose it, then guess who's going to find it? The bank. <laughs> and so some governments have taken advantage of that. In fact, I know of the state of North Carolina says is that if you have a bank account that has not been used in two years, that money is ours and the bank oh. doesn't that's evil <laughs> interesting so uh, that's just happening okay. that's not evil yeah what was that data that's just happening that's not evil evil because he said that's evil oh 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 he said that's evil no it's not uh, evil that's another rat hole that we can call down today on the oh. way to the, the present moment. Right. But I still have a question about right effort, if I might uh, drill down a little bit. So um, for me, what happens is I've just um, trained my mind so much to think in progress and stages of meditation that now when I sit down and I heard some of your, your videos on right effort already, 
now when I sit down and I just try to relax that muscle and just, you know, um, have the intention to do Anapanasati, but not with kind of force, not with a, not with a uh, intent, like not with a kind of tension to get somewhere, then uh, what happens is that my mind kind of wants to do it anyway. That like it comes up and it tells me, oh, now you're on stage two. Oh, now you're on stage three. <laughs> and so it's well, um, kind of a trouble dealing with this knowing, momentum. Knowing where you are is wisdom. Mm -hmm. Trying to make your reality fit into the box that you fit, that you put together reading a book is not wholesome. Mm -hmm. There's a difference, okay? And uh, let me give you this example. In the book, someplace or another, it was mentioned about Anapanasati and the stages of Anapanasati. Somewhere in the book, more than likely, it will mention that uh, uh, the, the fourth item that the Buddha mentions, and I'll say it like that because these are not steps at all. It's just the fourth item that he happened to have mentioned because he was using a different framework rather than chronology, which is the normal mental framework that humans have. Uh, there, that's, that uh, fourth item <clears throat> is to relax the body. What do Westerners do with that? Oh, I've got to relax. Oh, I must relax. Must, must, must. I got to relax. I got to relax. Okay, that's how we practice Anapanasati, relaxing the body. Right. By tightening Okay. And yet, actual relaxation is something that you do on a regular basis, just probably not often enough. Right. And so in that regard, mostly Western meditation, just one of four possible examples using stage four, and I say four possible examples, is because Anapanasati is based upon the four foundations of mindfulness and body is one of them. Okay, so relaxing the body, we screw that up. Okay, gladdening the mind, we screw that up. <laughs> Right. And changing the way that we feel, we screw that up. And the thoughts that we have, we wind up screwing that up too. Right. Even though it's written down right there in the book. Mm -hmm. But somehow or another, we get on the train of, I must get some results out of this. When in fact, whole practice of Anapanasati is to stop looking for results and experience what you've already got right here, right now, not result-oriented. And as one goes through the various levels and stages of relaxation and feeling good, and working with the body and working with the mind and fixing things up and um, uh, removing unwholesome thoughts and feelings and all of that kind of stuff. That has a roadmap. And that roadmap is actually in several different occasions. One is the roadmap into nobility. Another one is the roadmap into jhana. Another one is the roadmap of what's needed to be looked for once the mind is in jhana, 
which is yet another roadmap of Paticca Samuppada. And all of these are roadmaps of how to figure out where you are and what's going on um, in the sense of um, the practice of deepening and gladdening and relaxing, etc. And then the Westerner reads this stuff in the book and starts making goals out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I'll look a bit into the gladdening part because this is something I haven't really paid much attention to at all. And I kind of have this tendency to be disappointed when I get distracted or even think that I'm bad at the practice. And, and thoughts Okay. All right. Now, let me say it this way. The gladdening of the mind is like um, a thread of uh, knitting thread. And you know that knitters either take one or two balls with either one or two uh, knitting needles and that they knit. And as they knit, they use that ball up. Which means that if things are not tied off correctly and whatnot, you can pull that thread and unravel the garment. Mm -hmm. Is that not true? Okay. Right. So in that regard, what we're going to say is, is that you, we are using the um, gladdening of the mind as a thread to unravel what's going on in the mind. Mm -hmm. that really what the Buddha was talking about, and he talks to, see the word gladdening or brightening the mind is only in one place in the sutras that I know of, and that is in the Anapanasati Sutra. Mm -hmm. But he's got it in many, many, many other places in a completely different language. Mm -hmm. So think about the thread, which is the gladdening the mind, and then you've got this whole big issue around the hindrances and what each one of them does to the mind and how we get caught up in it and the fact that these hindrances are always unwholesome, not just in the future, but right now also. Mm -hmm. And that these hindrances are also unwholesome and they're obstacles into being in the state you want to be in. Mm -hmm. So the trick is, is that they are unwholesome. Now, there's a sutra number 19 that states about unwholesome thoughts, and he breaks them into, two. in fact, the name of the sutta is two kinds of thoughts. Two kinds of thoughts is the name of the sutra, number 19 in the Majjhima Nikaya. And in there, he's describing that there is a class of thoughts that have to do with actions and doings, taking things that are not given, harming other people, cruelty, getting what we want, all of those kinds of thoughts have to do with actions and feelings. And then there's another kind of thought which doesn't. And we're going to be practicing the kind of thoughts that don't. But in fact, this is something very curious about the whole teachings of the Buddha. The Buddha does not give any specific directions of what you've got to do. He gives a whole lot of instructions about what we have to stop. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is by a negative. This is a, um, 
uh, that in fact it winds up, guess where, in sunyata, in emptiness. What is emptiness? Is when everything stops. Okay. And so we're looking for not adding something like gladdening the mind. So we're using the word gladdening in a, as an operative or as a doing something, or in fact, actually what we're looking at is to stop doing something else, mm -hmm. which is normally not gladdening the mind, that we're hindering the mind from being gladdened when we're all thinking about things to do, places to go, having conversations with people in our minds, and all of that kind of stuff. Except that it's possible that you can have conversations in your mind that are wholesome, but most of the time they're not. And so we have to know the difference between those two. Mm -hmm. And so this is what the Eightfold Noble Path is really all about, is to remember to look at what you're doing, to investigate with discernment, to see, is this thought that I'm having wholesome or not? Now, it's actually possible that you can string a set of words together, have that thought in the mind, and it's wholesome in one moment and not wholesome in another. In fact, an example of that would be everything is fine. Everything. You hear the difference in the way that it's, yes, one was wholesome and one was not wholesome. Yeah, right. Yeah. One was so, actually a lie. It's about the mental quality behind it, right? Is it uh, is it meta or is it um, self-deception? I mean, if if I have a problem, but uh, I don't want to look at it, I guess it's not really equanimity, but aversion and so on. I guess this is the mm -hmm. crucial thing. All right. right. Well, this is one of the ways in we can begin to discern in Anapanasati and in the um, Satipatthana, what's actually different between the mind and the mind's objects? Well, the mind's object is, I feel fine. But the state of mind is different than the objects of the mind. So we have to do a kind of investigation for both are the objects of the mind wholesome and are the states of the mind wholesome. Hmm. And can we then begin to make a change to that by stopping the unwholesome quality? Mm -hmm. This is wherein lies the gladdening of the mind, which sounds like a positive thing to do. But basically what we're uh, the positive gladdening kind of things to do is would be, wow, I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. Wow, I don't have to have that argument in my head with Aunt Susie. Well, I do not have to think about the visa. That's another three months from now. Well, I do not have to think about getting the car fixed. If I don't go anyplace, I don't need the car. Right. <laughs> I, so right now, I'm okay. So this is the way that we would gladden the mind is always about right now. Let the future take care of itself. But, right now, I don't have to do anything. But but we still have to get food in our fridge and so on, right? And we have to sometimes we have to help That's, people. There's I mean, another way of talking about it, and that is is that you mention that because you're afraid to do without food. 
So there's that fear element. If you're not afraid that you're doing, because you don't need any food right now. Right. But you're okay. You don't yeah, need any food right now. And if you do, it's probably really easy to get a hold of. You've got a refrigerator in the house. Yeah, that's right. Right. Okay. But you immediately then, when you started talking about, I've got the, you projected way off into the future when the refrigerator is empty. Yeah. But yeah. what if I'm, and I really need to see the doctor? Well, what if you really need to see the doctor? Why don't you go to the doctor? Yeah, that's right. If you need to see the doctor and you don't go to the doctor, that's kind of stupid, isn't it? That's not mm. wisdom at all. That's right. The question is, is that when did you have the thought that you needed to see the doctor? Were you, in fact, having an illness that was progressing and you were watching and monitoring it carefully to figure out that what now it's time to, to actually go to the doctor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's another way like of doing it. Or did, did, did you kind of ignore what the body was doing until it started screaming at you? And then you said, oh, now I've got to go to the doctor when in fact you just were watching what was going on. So now mm -hmm. you're going to the doctor in a panic where in the other regard you could have gone leisurely because you had plenty of time because you knew what was going on all along. Right, right. So I'm, I'm curious, how, how does uh, meta meditation fit in into this um, kind of um, removing and stopping? Because that's something funny that you should ask. Right? All right. Funny thing. And I'm really glad that you're asking these diverse questions. We'll see if we can give short answers to short questions. Um, uh, rather than going to a complete uh, talk. Can you repeat meta. the question, please? Uh, yeah, meta. I was wondering, meta, how does meta fit in if it's about stopping doing things? Because that's something we kind of start doing, right? All right. The answer to that is, is that, first off, anyone who is practicing meta correctly, that is a form of gladdening the mind, mm -hmm. period. A dangerous form of gladdening the mind. It can become un unwholesome really quickly okay especially when you're uh, saying may all beings be happy including poor old me because i'm not happy why should you wish other people to give them a gift that you don't even have yourself and that's often what happens with meta meditation is, is that it turns sour quickly number two the buddha never taught meta as a meditation practice but there is several suttas one of which is about a group of people who were not bhikkhus, not under the Buddha's dispensation, that were practicing metta and advertised metta and talked about that the mind, in order to do metta, has to be free from the hindrances. And so the monks went back to the Buddha to talk to him about that, and the answer to the Buddha was is that it still, even though they have the hindrances removed, is still not the practice because it misses half the show okay that in fact the, here's the point meta is oriented to the outside 
And within the teachings of the Buddha, we have both the inner and the outer, and we work on the inner first and get that fixed, and then we can practice on the outer because we've got the skills to deal with the outside world because we've built those skills within our own mind. Okay, that someone can sit on the floor, meta, 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 half the day, get up and stumble out of the room and bump into somebody. And where's his meta now? He gets angry. Okay, he's been practicing meta for 30 minutes or an hour and he's angry in 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's the whole point is, is that we don't need to do something on the outside. And in fact, the way of thinking about it is meta is the result of correct practice, but it is not correct practice. It's the result of correct practice. Mm -hmm. Gladdening the mind is the uh, correct practice, or at least it's the thread that leads into the understanding of that we've got to get the garbage out. Got to get you can you can use it, but you have to fix the problems. Right, exactly. And wishing something that you don't have on other people, where's that? No, the right way to do it is to actually get the mind in a state that you can actually give meta. And everybody around you is happy. May all beings be happy. Well, how, who, who are all beings? How big is your world? In the immediate present, in the immediate moment, right here, right now, I've got one dog, two ladies, another dog, another dog. That's my whole world. And you guys, the three of you. So my whole world right now has less than 10 people in it, and I can make all 10 of you happy. <laughs> <laughs> just did it with you three <laughs> just to prove a point okay that's the problem with meta is is that if you don't have it you can't give it you can't wish it on other people you don't even know what you're trying to give them if you don't have it yourself which is joy happiness but there's more to it than that and that is, is that you have to also develop the right attitude that you can make other people happy. All you have to do is remember. And so when you're in the store with the sales clerk, if you can remember, you can make the sales clerk happy. Mm -hmm. Pay for some little old lady's chewing gum or something like that and make her happy too. But, but first we have to be happy ourselves. Because otherwise, you have, it's, you have to develop yeah. the happiness. Otherwise, you've got nothing to give. Right, right. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, they can uh, poisons can sneak in if one is dissatisfied and uh, things. There can be subconscious intentions which are not really the true intentions. But if one doesn't need anything because one is happy, then one can open up. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Now, why meta meditation has been drug into Buddhism, I'm not sure, but I mean, uh, the Buddhist cat has drug in all kinds of dead things that have mm -hmm. become Buddhist. But Buddha says he taught only one thing. He only teaches one thing. He said that in four different sutras. 
he only teaches one thing, and that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. He does not teach monks how to fly. He does not teach magical powers. He does not teach about rebirth and reincarnation. He does not teach metta. And he does not teach jhana. But he did very well with jhana before he was enlightened, put that down and went into austerities. And then he put that down too, but he didn't go back to jhana. But he did get the value out of it. When he recognized that it's the first jhana. So, so what did he teach then? Did he teach Anapanasati and uh, gladdening he, the mind? He taught, no, he taught only one thing, and that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Right, but I guess maybe Dukkha, he taught him. Dukkha, Naroda. That's the, that's the four noble truths, all mm -hmm. packed up into three words. Right. That's what the Buddha taught. Didn't teach anything else. But when you unpack it, you unpack the second noble truth into the teaching of Paticca Samapada, which is actually how the mind works. And he unpacks the third noble truth with Anapanasati to get you out of your dukkha. Mm -hmm. And then he teaches the four, uh, the eightfold noble paths as how to practice Anapanasati. And in fact, one of the things, one of the little uh, tidbits or jokes that I've heard was is that Bhikkhu Buddhadasa actually got into trouble way back when in the 30s or 40s or something like that for saying that the Buddha only taught one meditation, and that was Anapanasati. Because before that, they all believed in whatever literature had been accumulated. I mean, there's a big big, big pile of writings that have been accumulated around the Buddha. Some of them have been packaged into the basket, and now it's a whole wall full of books, some of which are quite large, like the Chikata and the Abhidhamma and the commentaries and the Vasudhimaga, and all of that stuff came later. And it's in the Vasudhimaga where they have 40 meditations, where in fact the Buddha didn't teach 40 meditations at all. But you have to go to the suttas to find out what the Buddha taught. Buddha didn't teach the commentaries. He was dead for hundreds of years. <laughs> so he didn't teach that. That was done by other people who really, really wanted to know what the Buddha taught. They didn't have access to books, so they wrote their own. Just like the Westerners are doing today. They don't have the real stuff, and so they go right in their own. Amazon.com is full of them. Okay, so there's Illuminated and this and that and all kinds of different books that were written by people who were still wannabes. And it's a whole lot better to go back to the teaching of the Buddha and practice what he taught. Okay. And so that means that we can kind of go away from all of that stuff and stay right down to the bare um, points. And they all fit together in a neat little package. 
the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Noble Path, and how these Four Noble Truths work in practice is the Anapanasati for getting us immediately, immediately out of Dukkha into Sukha. And yet the Western mentality is, is that all oh, this is a long drawn out process. Sort of like I'm going to build a basement. And so I have to shovel one shovel at a time until I'm finally down to the bottom of the basement. But the Buddha's way is, oh, let me take a shovel full of dirt and feel, see what that feels like. Let me take one more shovel of dirt. Maybe I'm finished now. I don't know. Maybe I'll get used to it and start liking it. But if you've got the idea of digging a basement, you'll push it too far. You'll work too hard. You want so much. You dirt. You get dirty, and you still don't have that basement. And so you're out there in pain and suffering, digging that hole instead of looking at how you're feeling while you're doing each one of them. That in fact, we were probably quite well off before we started digging. Didn't need that basement after all. It's just something, an idea that I wanted. And believe me, I've got all kinds of ideas. Then I can put them down and say, never mind, I don't need that. I'll only have ideas about the things that I can actually easily do and easily have, and then my whole life is easy. And if I have ideas that are going to take a lot of work and take a lot of time, then I'm going to be unhappy until I get it. And then I'll have some other idea about some big project, and I want that too. And so there's no end to the struggle. What we have to practice is learning to be satisfied in this present moment. That's the whole teaching. Just come immediately out of the dukkha into the sukha. We can use that thread again, the gladdening of the mind, in order to do that. By stopping the unwholesome thought, we start talking ourselves into feeling good, and then we begin to feel good. So if the Buddha is saying, Sukha, Dukkha, Naroda, or come into a state of Sukha, let's define what Sukha is. Because a lot of people have magical ideas about what the goal of the Buddha is, and there's really no goal at all that you can't get right now. So, Sukha is defined as feeling safe, feeling secure, feeling comfortable right now, and when you feel safe, secure, and comfortable right now, you wind up feeling satisfied right here, right now. And when you feel safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied, that's sukha, where's the dukkha? If you feel unsafe, then you're going to be dissatisfied because you want safety. If you feel uncomfortable, physical pain, anything like that, then you're not going to be satisfied with it. You're trying to get rid of it. But if you're safe, secure, and comfortable, then you can work on putting the mind into a state of satisfaction. Like, this is enough. I've got it. So we practice safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied over and over and over again. Safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. 
how we get those things. Looks like that you're uncomfortable right now, by the way. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, find a good position to sit uh, while seeing the screen. Right. You're looking for comfort. So you're dissatisfied yeah. right now. Notice that you're dissatisfied because you're not feeling comfortable. Yeah, that's right. Thought that I'd mention that because you're actually demonstrating for us what I'm talking about right here, right now. Okay. Do you feel comfortable now? Um, my back feels a little uncomfortable because I'm kind of uh, leaning over yeah, a little because bit. You're not, right, because you're not sitting up. If you would raise your uh, uh, cell phone up to up the heights of your face instead of see your 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 cell phone is at your midriff. Yeah. Raise it. Sorry. Oh, you're tilting it. I don't want you to tilt it. I want you to raise it physically up about a foot. Like this. Raise up what? Raise. Bring it higher one foot off, off of whatever it was sitting on. So, yes. I, yeah. I can tell that he's holding it. All right. No, now it's on a there chair. There we go. All right. Good. Now you can sit up straight because you don't have to lean over to look at the cell phone. Right. That's right. Yeah. So as you're breathing in, you can take in a deep breath and um, allow the body to straighten itself out like a balloon when you're breathing well. So you take a deep breath and as you let the breath out, you let the body relax just a little bit. And you're sitting up straight. And then you take another breath with the intention of getting the back straight and the body erect. And it feels good and comfortable to sit erect. You don't have the pull of gravity when you're leaning over. <sighs> so we can just relax. And so this is how we start to practice. Just sitting upright, taking a deep breath and relaxing. And then continue to think about that. And when the mind wanders, let us say, out of the room you're in. When the mind wanders out of the room you're in, bring it back to this room and be in this room here now. You can look around the room and see there's no snakes, there's no alligators, you don't have a boogeyman, there's no um, uh, bear in the closet. So you can go ahead and feel safe right here. There's no tarantulas on the keyboard. Everything that could hurt you can't hurt you right now. Only you can hurt you, and you're not doing that right now. So you can feel safe and secure. You've got the body erect and breathing well, so now you can feel comfortable. And with that, you can begin to feel satisfied. This is good enough right now. This is all we need. Just staying here in the room, taking a breath, and enjoying it. In fact, I can begin to feel good when I feel satisfied. We very rarely feel satisfied. We're always wanting something, always thinking about something we don't have, trying to improve things instead of allowing things to be that improvement already here, right here, <sighs> right now. Everything's okay. Everything is fine.
no place to go and nothing to do. These are all the thoughts that we need. It's just the thought of everything's okay. No problems, no worries. Just sitting here with no place to go and nothing to do. The spring comes and the grass grows all by itself. I don't have to do nothing. I can just sit here and smile because I got nothing to do. Whatever job there was to do, the job is finished. The mind is now clean and polished, like a beautiful polished shell, and everything is okay. Everything is fine. Ah, isn't that nice? Just to sit here with no place to go and nothing to do. Wow, this is great. <laughs> this is really, really good to sit here and feel. And you know, I can do this again. I can do this again and again and again because I've got the skills to remember to put myself into a really nice state, feeling comfortable, safe, and secure. It leads to satisfaction. And then into success. Yes, I got it. I can do this. Wow, do I feel good. <sighs> and so now that I've got myself into such a marvelous state, I can just continue on with this talk and have no problems at all. And everything is okay. Nothing to do. No place to go. And doesn't it feel nice when you've got no place to go, nothing to do, we don't want anything, we've got everything we need right now. All I need is this next breath. And if I don't take it, I'm going to have a bit of trouble. But if I do take it, then everything is okay. So all I really want is the next breath. Let's go ahead and enjoy it. We've got everything we want. Completely successful. So, if I leave you guys this way, you can continue right on, and I can just turn the camera off, and everybody's happy. <laughs> or, we can continue on. Does anybody have anything else to say? Yes. Yes, okay. You were going to say you were going to wave off, and now you want to talk. I got it. <laughs> Things change quickly. Yeah, very much so. Exactly. The question is about the third uh, part of the foundations of mindfulness in regards to the Anapanasati practice. So step 10 and 11, composing the mind. How would that be a little bit more explicitly explained? Okay. The problem is, is that the people do not understand the definitions of the Pali words. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the ways that we can look at it is, is that the people who talked to the Buddha 
in his native language, in their native language, they already knew the language. They knew what he was talking about. And so when he used a word, they understood it. 2,500 years later, after all kinds of people trying with all kinds of ways to figure out what the word meant, mm. we've gotten confused. And so a better way of doing it is to go back and let's get correct definitions of our words first, and then we'll know how to apply them in the context of Anapanasati. And so this composure of mine, actually the Pali word in there is the word Samati. Mm. And Samati actually means organization, unification, bringing things together, functioning correctly. So it's it natural self-collection. It's right. So when the mind is correctly organized, the mind is liberated. What is it liberated from? Among other things, disorganization. Is also liberated from unwholesome thoughts, which means it's liberated from dukkha right here, right now. Thank you. That's what step 10 and 11 are. To where not, excuse uh, 11 and 12, to where step. So you're talking about step 9, 10, 11, and 12. Nine is actually the investigation of the mind, to look at it to see what mind states we have, as well as what objects are in the mind. Step 10, then, is just to, the right effort to change it, to gladden the mind. But with that gladdening the mind, we're pulling the string into the sense of unraveling all of the hindrances and throwing them out. Okay? So that's what the gladdening of the mind is, the brightening of the mind, or let us say just pulling it out of the gutter, pulling it out of the sewer. If we fell under the sewer, so let's pick ourselves up, clean ourselves off, boogie on down the road, mindful that there's a gutter right here. <laughs> We're not going to go step in it again. This is the practice then, is to clean the mind with the wholesome and then that because it's wholesome liberates the mind so that it's free from dukkha which also means um, secluded from scatter secluded from the things that will keep the mind from being a unified organized mind which is by the way this step 12 of Anapanasati is guess what it's also on the eightfold noble path of right unification of mind this is it the composing dudes want to do something and the real Pali is just make it clean and it's how it's supposed to be right that's how it's already supposed to be and and so let's look at the few things then that we can guarantee already means that the mind is not organized all right when we are in doubt about the practice oh how do i practice how do i illuminate this mind let me read this next chapter all of that kind of stuff wanting something the mind is not unified it's not organized and it's not liberated another one lying so if we are in doubt in confusion if we're lying 
if we want something, any of those states means that the mind is not liberated from them. And when the mind is liberated from unwholesome thoughts, then it will become unified. Now, we can talk about that in the sense of psychology in, in the way of that the parent ego state sets standards. The Buddha talks about them also in the sense of Siva Bhatta Paramasa that we go around having rules and standards and ways things are supposed to be. And then we judge ourselves on a regular basis to see if we're up to scratch or not, according to the set of rules, set of standards. Which means that we generally fail at our own standards. Our own standards are higher than, in other words, if people are practicing meditation to get something like enlightenment, that means the standard is way up there called enlightenment and poor me, son of a gun, I'm down here and I'm not good enough, right? And so the whole idea then is to drop the standards, drop the rules, drop all of that unwholesome stuff that keeps us in conflict with ourselves by judging ourselves and start, instead of being critical of ourselves, we nurture. You're okay, buddy. You're all right. It didn't matter what happened back then. That was an old failure. Forget all about it. You're good enough right here, right now. Take a deep breath and just enjoy the moment. So you can see then that the Anapanasati, that fits right directly into the Eightfold Noble Path. They're, they're wedded and mated together as if the Buddha just happened to have been talking these two sutras at different times, but he was really talking on both occasions about the same thing. Ah, just relax. That's all we need to do is just relax. And the most important thing to relax is the unwholesome thoughts. And what are they? Wanting something or being confused. being unsatisfied. So all we have to do is just gladden our mind out of that and say, hey, I've got everything I need. I don't need anything right now. I might need something next year, but when next year comes, I'll be ready for that too. Right now, I'm okay. I often use the example of the visa office. Because I've got a retirement visa and I have to go for a visa once a year over the coast of Noy, but we also have to go uh, once a quarter every 30 days for the check-in. And they always want an enormous amount of piece of paper. So now I go happily get an enormous amount of piece of paper, waltz right in there and have a really good conversation with the guy. And everything is cool. With your t-shirt and your shoes on. I'm sorry, what? With your T-shirt and your shoes on, your occasion. <laughs> yes, yes. Because that's part of the uniform to wear is the shoes and the shirt. But the shirt will be older than the shoes because somebody gave me a pair of shoes about five years ago. But the shirts that I wear are still, gosh, they were bought the year that I disrobed. So that's 2008 now. <laughs> I haven't bought any clothes since then. Still wearing the same ones. Because it fits. I mean, there's no tears or rips or whatever. The buttons still work, and so it's good enough. Just old. 
That's okay. Yeah, just old. And that's all right. That's the whole point. Yeah, just it's old. Okay. We don't say, oh, I got to go get a new one because this one is old. And you say, oh, well, this is just old. And so that's part of the practice is everything in this moment, it's all right. And if I've got to do something, then I can get my mind together so that I can go do it happily. Whereas in practice, I got up on, what was that, Marcus? I actually um, went through a pair of shoes recently. They had holes on the bottom of them, my work shoes. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, I've got to go get some shoes. And then I realized, wait, no, I've got I've got another pair of shoes. I'm just going to wear those shoes. It doesn't matter if they don't fit the style or anything of, of what's expected at my workplace. I'm just going to wear those shoes and, you know, mm -hmm. all worked out okay. I Do bet more than one it? teacher wears, yeah, yeah. wears dollar flip shops. <laughs> More than one teacher wear dollar flip flops, you know, 30 bucks, all they cost. <laughs> Silicon Valley style. <laughs> I didn't, sorry, I didn't catch that better. Silicon Valley style. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just wearing some uh, like sneakers, you know. <laughs> They're all right. Comfortable, actually. More comfortable than uh, formal. So that's a bonus. <laughs> How are you going to get to get your work done in Jhana if you don't if you're not comfortable? <laughs> I sometimes it's a problem. Um, <laughs> sometimes you call it a problem. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I call it a problem, but um, yeah, that's a delusional thing to right. do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that keeps you out out of being in that samadhi. That's just, organized sorry, that's just life. a joke. I'm I'm just joking around. <laughs> I'm not, I don't really think it's a problem. I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking the, the benefits of laziness in a, in a, in a way. That's something that we never practice is the benefits of laziness. Wow. We ought to write a book by that title. <laughs> the benefits of laziness. Cause then you don't go any place. You don't do anything and everything you want and need just kind of comes around. Or in this case, no place to go and nothing to do, and the wife comes and the refrigerator fuels itself. <laughs> <laughs> if you do it wisely, that will keep happening. So. This has been a really joyful time. I'm glad that we actually had a moment of practice, actual practice. So let's end on that. Let's just recognize that we don't have to wish the world greatness or goodness. We don't need the world to be happy. All we need is this moment right here. It's all we need to sit and be comfortable. Take a deep breath. And let it out and relax, relax the body into the state. As we sit here with no place to go and nothing to do, we begin to have thoughts about, wow, isn't it nice that I could just stand here or sit here and be lazy? Wow, it's so good to do nothing at all. Uh, I've been spent so much time doing too much, and now I don't do anything, and I feel really good. The more we do, the less good we feel. The 
and the best we do better here. So let's just be lazy. <sighs> guys, I'm so lazy I couldn't turn the video off. Will somebody do that for <laughs> me? See you guys later. Just nothing to do and everything is fine okay <laughs> peace out